microphone, Robin. Thank you, thank you. Welcome. Thank you very much. It's great to have you here. Please oh, hello. Do take, <laughs> take a, a stool. Thank you. Uh, so, Robin. Yes. Um, you're the director of Outlook Trust. Yes. For those who don't know, could you tell us a little bit about Outlook Trust and its vision? Uh, yes, um, Outlook is 20 years old, uh, so about my age, and um, our uh, vision as a charity is that we sh help to share the Christian faith with over 55s. Okay, that's brilliant. So it's pretty easy, really. So what difference do you hope that Outlook will make to the over 55s? Well, we know that uh, there are some fairly uh, difficult to uh, swallow statistics coming out at the moment, so um, this year... Uh, this coming winter, 30,000 uh, elderly people will die because they're too poor to heat their own houses. Um, and uh, you may have heard in the news this last couple of months that there are 800,000 uh, elderly people described as cl chronically lonely. And, and for me, it's not, that's not acceptable. It's not acceptable as a Christian to live in a country where that happens. Um, and so the, the difference Outlook helps, uh, hopes to make is to contact the lonely and to befriend the lonely, um, to help practically and also to share our faith as we do that. Okay, brilliant. So just building on that then, why should we, why should the over 55s in this room now or those who we know who are over 55, why should we encourage them to go to Outlook tomorrow and all the other Outlook events that go on here at Christchurch? Uh, well, I was going to say because I'll be there, but that might put people <laughs> off. Um, <laughs> I mean, I, th I think Outlook is, is really unique. Uh, I, uh, actually, for 20 years I've been in youth work, yeah. and I've worked with um, clergy and bishops and, and lately archbishops, um, but I was getting too old to do youth work, and, and some people think I'm too young to do Outlook, so maybe I need to work with a charity <laughs> that works with the 43-year-olds, then I'll be yeah, right yeah. in there. Um, but but it, 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 it's not difficult to be part of Outlook. Um, you know, we have supporters who, who help us, you know, with a few pounds a month, that's brilliant. Um, and you get to hear new ways of engaging people. So there's all sorts of resources that we have. We have a thing called Holiday at Home. There are all sorts of books and leaflets and flyers and ideas. And, and there are literally uh, five or six hundred people all over the country who every day of the week in some way or other are doing something to engage with the elderly. And, and as, as folks grow older, uh, you know, life changes, life's patterns change, our relationships change, our health changes. And um, Outlook members are, are quite skilled in, in bringing elderly people to faith and helping to share uh, their faith and helping with elder folks who deal with dementia and all those kind of issues. So it's, it's a great place to, to be safe and to be welcome. That's brilliant. Thank you so much. Well, Outlook is doing amazing work across the country and also it's significant here in oh, Baston Hill. Right. So what I'd love to do now is for us to pray for you and for Libby as she leads the, the, right. the local Outlook. So um, if you could do that. So Libby, would you like to come out and we'll pray for you. <coughs> Thank you. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for Outlook. Thank you for the vision, this amazing vision of uh, not accepting the situation uh, for the elderly, for isolation and loneliness and being out of touch with those who can demonstrate your love to them and make that a reality in their lives. 
Thank you for Robin. Thank you for the work that he does, the way that he leads this trust, this team. I pray that you'll bless the work and that you'll inspire their work. And in the coming year, you'll show them your priorities and you'll equip them with all that they need. And I pray for Libby too. I pray that you will bless her in her ministry. You'll help her to catch the vision of how you want Outlook to develop and grow here in this place. And I pray that through Outlook, both here and nationally, many, many people will come to know your love, Lord Jesus, in their lives. will hear the gospel message and will know the difference your love can make in their lives. We ask this in your name. Amen. Uh, yes, Judges 6, 1 to 10, and it's on page 247 in the Church Bibles. We're starting the story of Gideon. The Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord, and for seven years he gave them into the hands of the Midianites. Because of the power of Midian uh, was so oppressive, the Israelites prepared shelters for themselves in mountain clefts, caves and strongholds. Whenever the Israelites planted their crops, the Midianites, Amalekites and other eastern peoples invaded the country. They camped on the land and ruined the crops all the way to Gaza and did not spare a living thing for Israel, neither sheep, nor cattle, nor donkeys. They came up with their livestock and their tents like swarms of locusts. It was impossible to count them or their camels. They invaded the land to ravage it. Midian so impoverished the Israelites that they cried out to the Lord for help. When the Israelites cried out to the Lord because of Midian, he sent them a prophet who said, This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. I brought you up out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. I rescued you from the hand of the Egyptians, and I delivered you from the the hand of all your oppressors. I drove them out before you and gave you their land. I said to you, I am the Lord your God. Do not worship the gods of the Amorites in whose land you live, but you have not listened to me. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Hello again. Thank you, Libby. Do you want that one? So at the start of 2014, we begin a new and quite important Sunday sermon series. Gideon, loving God, living his adventure. This sermon series has emerged from the PCC's discussions and prayer at our Vision Day back in the autumn. And it's been assisted by Mia's project work as part of her training. We're praying that God will speak powerfully to us through this amazing account of Gideon to engage our imaginations and our hearts with the vision that he's giving us. Now together, the PCC have identified four aims for for this series. I'm just going to share these with you briefly now. Firstly, to develop how we are understanding and engaging with our vision 
in practice. We want each of us to have the opportunity to grasp the vision more firmly and to explore the part each of us is called by God to play to make that a reality. Secondly, to explore how ministry areas and our expressions of church are working towards this. Thirdly, to enable our church community to prayerfully voice passions, frustrations, encouragements, and anxieties in the implementation of the vision. It's okay to be honest, to say what you're thinking and feeling. I want to encourage us to be open. It's a daunting vision, and it's been born out of the need, the requirement really, for us to turn to God and to ask him to help us to change things. I feel overwhelmed at times. I ask God every single day to help me to trust him. So it's okay to be honest. And fourthly, to promote growth as leaders and teams as they discern and plan for the development of this vision. We hope that through these sermons, in addition to being impacted on a personal level, that together we'll receive a renewed or clearer vision of how, as a community of disciples of Jesus, we can love God and live his adventure. The sermons will doubtless raise lots of important questions and they'll touch on lots of issues. We need to pray and talk about these together and in our home groups and the home group notes will help us to do that. So I'm going to tell you a joke before I move on. An atheist, I may have told this before actually a few years ago, an atheist was taking a walk through the woods admiring all that evolution had created. What majestic trees, what powerful rivers, what beautiful animals, he said to himself. As he was walking along the river though, he heard a rustling in the bushes behind him. He turned to see a seven foot grizzly bear charging right towards him. He ran as fast as his legs would carry him. He looked over his shoulder and saw the bear was closing in. He ran faster still, crying in fear. He looked over his shoulder again, and the bear was even closer. His heart was pounding, and he tried to run yet faster. He tripped, and he fell on the ground. He rolled over to pick himself up, but saw the bear right on top of him, reaching for him with his left paw and raising his right paw to strike him. At that moment, the atheist cried out, Oh my God! Time stopped. The bear froze. The forest was silent. Even the river stopped flowing. As a bright light shone upon the man, a voice came from the sky. You deny my existence for all these years. Teach others I don't exist and even credit creation to a cosmic accident. Do you expect me to help you out of this predicament? Am I to count you now as a believer? The atheist looked directly into the light It would be hypocritical of me to suddenly ask you to treat me as a Christian. But perhaps you could make the bear a Christian. (laughs) Very well, said the voice. The light went out, the river ran again, and the sounds of the forest resumed. And then the bear fell to his knees, dropped his right paw, brought both paws together, bowed his head and spoke. Lord, for this food which I'm about to receive... (laughs) I am truly thankful. (laughs) Crying out to God is the smart thing to do, as we, we heard from today's Bible reading. We join Gideon's story at a point in Israel's history when they're stuck. They're stuck in this repeating cycle of failure, really, 
of apostasy, renouncing their religion, going into oppression, and then repentance, and then deliverance. This ongoing cycle. In fact, as was so often the case, Israel forgot the ways in which God promised to be with them and let things slide. They were nominally worshipping the Lord whilst also worshipping other gods. It was clear that Israel was heavily influenced by the surrounding culture and took on the religious practices and ideas of others. It's something we all struggle with, going through the motions with the Lord whilst also paying homage to the other idols in our lives. Church communities do it too, although we prefer not to admit to it. We can avoid what the Holy Spirit is doing today and we can go through the motions. This approach never ends well. And Israel discovered this to their cost. Their desire to keep their options open brought a heap of trouble upon them. So where we pick up with Gideon, you could say that things are going terribly for Israel. Yet again, they had turned away from the Lord and they were under attack as a result. The writer tells us that because the power of the Midianites was so oppressive, the people were prepared to go into shelters, shelters for themselves and for their harvest in caves, mountain clefts and strongholds. The Midianites invaded the Israelites to make raids on their crops. And they were joined in these raids by the Amalekites. And together they employed a secret weapon. It was a long-range, fast and ugly weapon. It was the camel. And in this chapter, there is the first documentation of this large-scale use of the camel in a military campaign. It must This speedy, long-range fighting force, thanks to this imposing beast, have struck terror into the hearts of the Israelites. Every year, the Midianites invaded the land to ravage it. It was a scene of absolute devastation. Now, the impact of these raids on the Israelites was huge. All agriculture must have been affected, and the plundering of the herbs, the crops, the fruits no doubt made for long, miserable winters. Because of this, it was unsafe for the Israelites to remain out in the open in their villages and their towns, and so they were forced to seek refuge in the mountainous regions. In their troubles and in their struggles, what do they find themselves doing? Crying out to God. But it seems, though, that God's people turn to him as a last resort which hardly demonstrates a vibrant faith. The reason for their current plight is brought home to them by an unnamed prophet. Israel failed to remember their covenant relationship with God, who time and again had done great things for them. I brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. I snatched you from the power of Egypt and from the hand of all your oppressors. I drove them from before you and gave you their land. I said to you, I am the Lord your God. Do not worship the gods of the Amorites in whose land you live. But you have not listened to me. Remembering all that God has done is absolutely crucial to every community. Our story as a church, as Christ Church based in Hill, is important. Remembering it 
reminds us of the ways that God has been with us over the years. It reminds us to cling to God today and into the future. It also encourages us to remain faithful to the one who is faithful to us. Israel's spectacular failure to give back to God the loyal love, attention and obedience he required was ultimately their downfall. This whole scene from the book of Judges is played out in caves and hiding places. The people are marginalized and they're oppressed. It leads us to ask, in what ways are we marginalized? Are we oppressed as a church community? What are we fearful of? Whichever way you look at it, the opening verses of Gideon's story don't paint a very hopeful picture. It's important to view the extent of the problem, though. The problem of them making idols, other idols, before the Lord. The problem of going through the motions in our worship, our discipleship, when our attention is elsewhere. Of not fully giving God all the attention that he requires. For Israel, the result was attack in the form of oppression and raids from outside forces. It's hard for a church, nationally or locally, or globally for that matter, to own its failings, to take responsibility for its troubles. But scripture makes it clear that we need to. God is always gracious. He's always willing to forgive. But there's no wriggle room. God wants us to face up to the troubles we're responsible for. For instance, how might we have contributed to the gap between church and society? How has our own lack of generosity contributed to the shortage of resources in the church today? How have our own actions endorsed or helped create the negative image of Christians so often portrayed? How has our lack of willingness to love Jesus as, us, as ourselves, sorry, to love others as ourselves, contributed to losing touch with our neighbors? How has holding on to the past prevented us from moving forward with God today? Often the church bemoans the current situation it finds itself in, struggles, oppression, and even attack. But in what ways are we responsible, even partly? An honest assessment of the current context and our present condition as a church is crucial if we're to accept the need to embrace a fresh vision from God. But we must remember that honesty may be straight talking, but it isn't criticism, because we own the responsibility collectively. Criticism. It can assume that it's someone else's responsibility. Honesty helps us to own the responsibility and include ourselves in the solution. But of course, honesty requires humility, letting go of control or our we-know-best attitude and taking up a your-will-be-done approach, being prepared to say yes to whatever God asks of us whenever he asks it. In what ways do we need to humble ourselves as a church community? Are we being fully honest as a church? What do we need to be honest about? Scripture shows us that humility and honesty precede the realization that things need to change. Gideon and his fellow Israelites, they'd been brought low. They were completely rocked. 
But out of this, they cried out to God. They realized that they must turn to him, that things must change. For us, as a church, both nationally and locally, in some ways we've been brought low. There's no escaping it. Not everything by any means. There is much hope and promise. God is initiating amazing things. We see it here. But some struggles are upon us. Maybe we've accommodated approaches and attitudes that have drawn us away from all that God is doing. We need to face up to this. Out of this humility and honesty will come the realization that things need to change. That we need God's help, his vision, his direction, his calling, and his strength. In our own fear and failure, are we crying out to God? And will our cries be a last resort, the demonstration of a limping faith when we've lost sight of God almost completely? Or will will we face up to things now and embrace the new adventure that God is opening up before us? Many of us in this church are tired. I've sensed this from the moment we arrived back in 2010. Tired of change, perhaps. Tired of the few doing the work instead of the many. In all of this, are we crying out to God on behalf of Christ Church? Are you tired of struggling tired of seeking refuge from ruthless invaders will you join me in crying out to God to finish as with Gideon loving God and living his adventure will involve facing up to how we're going through the motions and paying homage to other idols in our lives it will involve remembering what God has done in our own story so that we are encouraged to remain faithful to the one who is faithful to us. Lastly, it will involve owning our failures, facing up to the troubles we're responsible for, even partly. And humility and honesty are essential. God doesn't want us to be hiding away in fear, away from our struggles and our attackers, retreating and pulling up the drawbridge. As we'll see In the coming weeks with Gideon, when we cry out to God, he asks us and promises to enable us to go in his strength, to face up to our enemies, and to courageously serve him on the adventure that he's leading us into. Amen.